Hello, Kristen here. Before we get into this episode, I wanted to tell you that the antidote is a thing that's happening. It's a series of monthly gatherings that will help you return to your body and your being over and over again in the face of, you know, 2024, election insanity, climate change, global wars, your own personal stuff, other stuff. It's crazy out there. And it's easy to abandon yourself and freak out. The antidote is for bringing you home to yourself so that you can be safe in your being even when the world outside of you feels objectively unsafe. And because everybody's marketing at you and there's no reason for you to believe me, you can head to jointheantidote.com to grab a free recording of the first session that happened this week so you can feel it instead of thinking about it to see if it's a good match for you. That is jointheantidote.com. Scroll all the way down and you will see a place to pop your email address in and grab the recording. Confession. Uh, I'm scared to do it this week. Um, so hi, I'm Kristen Cope. This is the confession series, which is... I do not have a script, a plan, a manual, a very, very thought out line of subject matter before I begin speaking. So this is the practice of making space for whatever wants to come through to come through. And it's a space for pushing myself into far deeper vulnerability than I have access to when I'm in my office at my computer in full control with bullet points intact. (laughs) And it's a continuing exploration of what happens when you throw yourself into deep exposure and deep vulnerability with people in your sphere of influence, community, um, reach, uh, and uh, it's seeing what happens. So lots has happened this week, but I think I want to start with two things that are related. The first is um, I had, see, this is, it's so vulnerable right from the get-go, like, please do not underestimate that I never, ever lie about feeling vulnerable. So, um, and it's funny, the things that are vulnerable to share and the things that just feel like, oh, yeah, it's just a piece of cake. So really vulnerable thing. Um, I had a dream about Anne Lamott last night. Now, Anne Lamott is like basically my only celebrity. I've thought about meeting lots and lots and lots of people. We're talking like, you know, it just casually, like when you think about what would it be like to meet, insert literally anyone that you respect, admire, have seen here. Um, Anne Lamott's the one that I'm pretty sure I would just have no words and or I would just break down like weeping in gratitude because I feel as if her words over the years have had a direct line to my soul and I see so, 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 so much of myself in her and her ability to activate, delineate, articulate her own fears, insecurities, anxieties, worst habits, worst instincts, worst parts of her own humanity to, to feature them as part of her work, but to not end there, to go further into self-compassion and into acceptance and into love and into admitting failure and continuing and into 
deep vulnerability and then come back out with this message for all of us. Um, it's just stunning. And if I could, if I could have the feeling that, uh, that I have for Anne Lamont, if, if that could run through the thread of my work, that'd be pretty fucking cool. So anyway, Anne Lamont is talking. Totally lost that train of thought. <laughs> I just got so excited about Anne Lamont. <laughs> she was in my dream last night. And in my dream last night, she was working. Uh, she was a Sunday school teacher in my dad's church in the basement. And I was like, oh, it's Anne Lamont. And then she said things. And I don't remember a word she said to me in my dream because it was just... In my head, even in the dream, I was like, it's Anne Lamott, it's Anne Lamott, it's Anne Lamott, it's Anne Lamott. <laughs> I met Anne Lamott in my dreams and all I could handle was just thinking, it's Anne Lamott, it's Anne Lamott, over and over and over again. So there's the first vulnerable thing. It's just my love for Anne Lamott and she appeared in my dream. So I was like, oh, I happen to have this podcast downloaded and I will listen to... Um, and it was really just the most beautiful thing. So I will include the link for that. Anne Lamont and Jack Cornfield having a conversation. And I think my favorite part of that conversation was she said um, a line from William Blake we are here to learn to endure the beams of love. And I have had times in my life when I would have scoffed at that and be like, oh my God, enduring the beams of love, it's so hard. Oh, you poor thing, you have to endure the beams of love, right? Total just malice toward that statement. But when it, my heart's open enough for it to land, enduring the beams of love is actually really, really tricky. Because I've had to endure the beams of love coming from all of you. But please don't stop. Um, I've had voice memos and texts and emails and actual videos. Thank you, Christy. And it has been both really beautiful and really difficult to accept the like pure love, pure support. Pure, I am here for you. Pure, thank you for sharing Pure, thank you for letting us in. Pure, thank you for letting us know. Pure, I love you. Pure, I've always loved you. Pure. There's just something so pure about this transaction. And for me, it's just surrender to the opening. Go as deep as you have access to and trust that they can hold you wherever you are. And I don't know what it is for you, so I'd love to hear what keeps you here, coming back, paying attention. All I'm trying to do here is to undo the parts of me that, for the first long while of my business, were all about be the expert, have a niche, be the expert, have a niche, be the expert, have a niche. Those are, that's all you're allowed to do is just know things and know them very specifically. 
And if you ever venture outside the realm of knowing, you you get really good at dancing with that and pretending you know. Or making a speculative suggestion that sounds really good. And I'm learning that I don't know so much. And that instead of being upset with that not knowing, I can just take that as humility of like, well, that's being human. In some ways, I feel like that I knew the most when I was 17 because I knew so much and I knew that I knew and I was just, I knew everything, man. I like fucking, I know everything. <laughs> and the longer that time goes on, the more that like the, the, I don't even want to call it the Trump hate machine because he didn't create it. But the, uh, that, that sort of like super extremist hate machine takes root in all sorts of places. As that happens, I have just sort of drifted from like, I thought I knew things and maybe I don't know a goddamn thing. And then COVID, which Anne Lamott refers to as COVID college. And I was like, oh, that's helpful. That gives it a like, oh, we were, we were in deep learning, all of us. We still are. In COVID college, I was like, oh, I understand even less about the world and the divisiveness and the hatred. And it really threw me for a loop. I was talking to a client. Um, hi, Amy. And I was like, there was a death there. There was a, there was a death during COVID of my belief in humanity. And she's like, well, was it really there? And I was like, it really was. I really, truly, truly believed in the very, very best in people. And Trump really started to break that. And COVID really broke that. And then you have to go all the way into, I used to carry around this core belief that humanity is good. And then it got really tested and broken and it's gone through the fire. And do you feel me? That like, it's hard to have faith in humanity when there is so much like pain, hurt, resentment. Ah, there's so much that says, give up, give up, give up, give up, give up, give up. And I've had to go all the way into the give up to come out the other side with, don't give up because there's so many of us still here and we're so good to each other. I have seen so many people being so good to each other. Every day when I go out in the world, I see people being good to each other. And if I don't see it, then I am it being good to other people in really small ways. You know, it doesn't like, for some reason, my brain, when it very early in life went into change the world mode, change the world mode is huge. Change the world mode is like, be mother Teresa, be Ram Dass, be, be huge. And anything less than absolutely peak summit sainthood is not going to be good enough for Kristen Kelp, which is a really good way to invite yourself into burnout, invite yourself into isolation because you're destined for greatness and no one else is or no one else understands. That's one of my brain's favorite. No one else understands. 
And the irony there is that what I'm learning and what's so hard is that the day-to-day interactions make a difference. That that five-minute friendship that I made at a concert when I shared a joint with a woman named Allie and that, um, that petting dogs that come to my coffee shop and making faces at babies and holding the door and playing with people even though introversion and shyness and look away, look away are my natural instincts to just engage with people and let them know that you're here. Like just saying hi can make a difference at this point because we don't even fucking speak to each other. We're all just in our phones. So just reminding like, hey, you're a human. I'm a human. Hi. In the most non-invasive way possible can be really, really beautiful. So confession I've learned a lot from the Real Housewives of New York City in the past couple of weeks. One of the things I've always had a lot of shame around is that I watch the Real Housewives, like, just... And I didn't understand. And I was like, I've always tried to understand why. Why? Why? It's not good. Why? And I would always say, like, I just want to know what not to do. Like, how, like, you just watch, like, here's a situation. How do you escalate it by a thousand percent? Oh, that's how you flip the table. You Like, just watching bad behavior and trying to learn from the bad behavior. Because when we answer a question or a comment with a table flip, <laughs> that's, that's not who I want to be in the world. A table flipper. So God bless Jill Zarin, because here's what happened. I've been sort of watching. I like to put on a real housewife and then do some art. And the part of my brain that needs to be occupied by my mind can just listen to the real housewives and free up my hands to just do whatever they're going to do with watercolors or markers or pencils or pens or whatever. It helps to keep one channel occupied so that my brain can't pop in with, is that the right decision? Should that dot go there or should it be moved slightly to the left? Or like that second guessing energy is not how I make art. So for, for physical art, having the Real Housewives on is super helpful to keep my brain occupied and away from trying to interfere with my fucking art. So I've been watching from the beginning the Real Housewives of New York City and watching it all in sequence, like the first, I think I'm on season three now, watching Jill Zarin, here's what I have learned. Jill Zarin, let me set you up for, you don't know Jill Zarin. Let me pretend you don't know Jill Zarin. Here's what I would have you picture a woman, she's in her mid mid to late 40s. She is incredibly wealthy. She prides herself on being a connector. She really enjoys taking care of other people's needs and feeling as if she's helpful, useful, generous. She is incredibly emotional but tries to hide it. I would put her in the Enneagram four category and Enneagram fours are big feelers, but we're not allowed to have big feelings in life ever because feelings are bad. Uh, my apologies if you've been socialized as a male, cause feelings are even worse. So if you've experienced <laughs> any sort of conditioning related to being male, feelings are the worst thing you can possibly do. And, uh, conditioning for females and feelings is you're allowed to be sad and you're allowed to shut up and you're allowed to have little, you know, friends that you go and talk about your feelings with. But ultimately, your feelings are not important. 
And that's really, really difficult in the best of times. But one of the programs that I see... No, I'm not going to explain Jill Zarin. I'm going to tell you a story that this, this encapsulates. I'm so excited to tell you about Jill Zarin. Here we go. She's super wealthy. We've established this. Bobby, Bobby is her, is her husband. And he decides he's going to buy her the Mercedes SUV that she's always wanted as a surprise. So one afternoon, we see this all on camera. He just walks her up to this vehicle and says, this is yours. And she is excited. She's touching it. She's like, oh my God, this is everything that I wanted. This is amazing. And within five minutes, she finds out that there's a jack for an iPod, but not an iPhone. And suddenly we get that classic fucking Jill Zarin line. Not happy. I'm not happy, Bobby. Not happy. And it was like, and you could be really, 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 really judgy about this, which obviously it's being filmed that way so that you're really judgy about this. Like you just got a God knows how much dollar vehicle, like, you know, top of the line, a Mercedes SUV off the lot, fresh and new. And within five minutes, you're not happy, not happy. Do you ever see your own bad behavior in someone else and go, oh, fuck. I got to change that because that not happy did not come from Jill Zarin. We see later Jill Zarin's mom. They are at a photo shoot because Jill Zarin's mom has written a book and Jill is putting everything she has into this photo shoot for the book cover that involves her mom, her and her sister. She has rented a studio. She has a makeup artist. She had a stylist bringing clothing. She has snacks, champagne, water. She has done everything she can possibly do to be the best hostess in the entire world. And she's on camera and says, I just hope that my mom feels how much I love her, feels how important this is, sees how much I care and feels really, really loved and valued because of, you know, what I've done to prepare for the shoot today. Cut to Jill Zarin's mom on a couch being photographed for this book cover of the book she's written. And something is wrong. Jill's wearing the wrong outfit and they're posed the wrong way. And you just see Jill's mom through a fake smile that might have ended up being the book cover. Who knows? Saying, not happy, not happy, not happy, you know, not happy. Okay, so we can't even hold Jill's Aaron accountable for not happy because that was clearly just a program installed by her mom and her mom's mom probably installed that same program. The gift of having the ability to look at everything in front of you and find the things that are wrong, off, need to be fixed, need to be slightly tweaked. It's really beautiful because if you are a hostess of a party of 300 being able to say, the hors d'oeuvres are a little cold. I need you to go out now. There's a spill over there. That's not exactly right. Those boxes aren't unpacked. Um, these guests need to arrive in this order. The step and repeat is falling down, whatever it is. The ability to say everything is perfect except this thing. Okay, now it's good. Is a way to take care of all the people that are coming into the space if you're a hostess. So... 
the not happy can work in beautiful ways for making events that are just stunning and everyone attends and has fun and feels cared for and it's beautiful and it's, you know, dinner parties or weddings or whatever it is. I have no doubt that Jill Zarin's an amazing host because of that talent to say not happy and then find the things that are wrong. The trick is that not happy is a skill that needs a switch that goes on and off instead of that being default to always on. And here's where it's vulnerable for me is that I have that same skill. That growing up, I was actively trained to look for you're going to need to please a husband. I'm using gendered language because this is just straight up quoting mom here. <laughs> you're going to have a husband. You're going to need to take care of your household. So what is wrong? What needs to be done? Look for the things that are wrong and that need to be taken care of. Is there laundry? Do we need to dust or clean or go, you know, shopping, cook, whatever it is? There are always household tasks that need to be done and we need to go looking for those so that everyone's taken care of and everybody's happy. So I had from my mom, who probably from her mom installed a version of not happy, except that it's not those two words, which make it easy to spot not happy. It's just generally always have a sense of what is wrong so that people can be more comfortable in the space because you can eliminate the thing that is wrong. It makes me incredible, incredible at creating events for people because I will find the thing that is wrong, off, weird, bad <laughs> and take care of it and fix it and make it all look like this just effortless victory of like, my God, everything was just so smooth and it flowed and it was just perfect. That's because I spent so much time finding all the things that weren't perfect and honing and honing and honing and honing. And it makes it, if I'm holding space, easy because if anything is off at even a really subtle level, I can feel it and be like, okay, so Emily needs about 20 minutes by herself and um, we're losing Lauren a little bit, so she needs to be pulled back in. And there's something else emotionally going on over here uh, with, I'm trying not to use the names of my clients so they don't feel called out, but like people are coming to mind, right? So that makes me incredible at holding space because anything that is trying to interfere with the space, I will notice and I will be able to sort of address, if not fix. That's the gift of the Jill Zarin not happy. And also it has become over the course of COVID, my default state of living because everything makes me not happy right now or has historically for the last, since lockdown started. Because if you start looking for evidence of not happy, something's wrong, something's wrong, something's wrong, something's wrong, something's wrong. If that's the lens, which has been installed fair and square, heretically, heretically, hereditarily, hereditarily hereditary it has come to you from a from <laughs> a person who birthed you how about that a it's really hard to see and b it makes a lot of sense there is a lot wrong not happy not happy and what I'm trying to do is to treat that like a switch and to turn that off so that what I'm looking for in most of my life is ha happy happy that instead of looking at this landscape of where I'm seated, which is somewhere in Philly, instead of seeing the trees and the blossoms and the gorgeous old 
fence that's made of stone, that instead of seeing the flowers, instead of seeing these buildings and the architecture, that I notice uh, there's a plastic bottle on the side of the road. Not happy, right? No, no, we switch, right? We take in to actively nourish ourselves with what is good here and to let the things that are imperfect go unless we're being paid to notice them. is a new skill that I'm working on. And then the hard part of not happy is recognizing in retrospect that social media died for me with the sense of everyone sharing the things that either are not true in terms of I'm pretending to be happy, which I see a lot of, or in using social media as a space for sharing not happy for racial justice, social injustice, 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 and turning my eyes toward just endless injustice, oddly enough, has the effect of turning my eyes toward not happy, not happy, not happy. And that's really useful if we want to make big change, but it's not useful if it takes away my sense of ability to do a goddamn thing about anything. Because it's easy to just be overwhelmed with, it's all hopeless, it's all useless, not happy, not happy. And I stopped expressing so much of my self couple of months after lockdown there was something in me I don't remember exactly what it was probably a lot of things it was right around the time that George Floyd died and the country was just consumed by protests and I had a friend it's not funny but it's funny I had a friend whose post office got burned down in Minneapolis um just weird weird things you know like she's like like I would mail you a letter but my post office burned down just a weird um why am I telling you that why am I centering that experience the world was consumed but what I saw on social media there we are coming back to the thread what I saw on social media was if you weren't talking about George Floyd 100% of the time, then people were being flogged because they were not talking about X, which should we be talking about George Floyd to this day? Absolutely. Because shit's fucked up. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying don't talk about it. I'm saying that the human behavior that drove me away from social media was people choosing to really attack other people for their choice of subject matter. Like, how could you be talking about X when George Floyd just died? How could you be talking about X when terrible things happening at the border? How could you be talking about X when crisis? So what I saw was it doesn't even matter what the content of the message was. 
at that point. It was simply, you are wrong for saying anything at all because you're not talking about X. And everyone has a different definition of what X is. Does that make sense? That when we, as humans on social media, choose to attack and mute each other for not talking about the right thing, but we all have a different definition of the right thing, and even talking about X, whatever it is, is probably just going to be a sort of... flurry of likes and maybe comments, but probably isn't going to lead to deep or systemic change at some level. That entering into the fray of social media to talk about X, whatever you divine X to be is the most important thing that needs to be talked about. That actively flogging and attacking and canceling people who choose to not be talking about X today is not the answer. And I got so scared of even fucking speaking because I knew I wouldn't be talking about the right thing, even if I was talking about things that were really important to me, that someone somewhere was going to be like, well, you're not talking about blah, so we need to ignore you. And I'm trying to open it up so that it isn't just because X is anything that's really important to you. And it can be a social justice issue. It can be a climate change issue. It can be systemic racism systemic sexism systemic discrimination systemic just there's there are endless forms of bullshit that are happening in the world that we would like to stop that you would like to stop and everyone has a kind of top maybe top two top three maybe you have a top 17 that i withdrew so deeply from social media because i was like a, I don't feel safe in my body. B, I don't feel safe in this city, Portland, because it was new. C, I don't feel safe on the street because there was so much, like, federal prison, or sorry, federal agents with vans just literally grabbing people off the streets. Um, I had no sense of safety. And online had never felt less safe. That sense of no matter what I say, I'm going to be attacked for it and wrong. Because even if I'm talking about X, someone is going to just say I'm not talking about X the right way. Like there's, it, felt, it felt like I couldn't win on social media. The talking about anything that was important to me didn't necessarily mean that it was important to other people. And that no matter what, I was just going to walk away from it more stressed and having given more data to surveillance capitalism to sell me shit that I don't need via Instagram ads. That's how it felt. So I pulled back and I didn't realize, and this is where it's difficult to not really, really, really sort of want to beat myself up about this. What I didn't realize was that I, when I withdrew so deeply from social media, I withdrew from communicating. I was still taking clients. I was still doing podcasts. I was still emailing. I was still doing the best I possibly fucking could because I'm always doing the best I can. That's a fucking promise. But there was a level of myself and my own interiors and vulnerability that I just deemed like that can't be expressed right now. It's not safe to express that right now. 
And that was, what, May 2020. It is now May 2022. And we are just reversing that perhaps it is safe to be in the world and express my deepest self in some capacity. And then the job for me is to not beat myself up about how deeply I withdrew and how far into the uh, I went. I just watched everything everywhere all at once. This is a slight spoiler if you're going to watch everything everywhere all at once. Just fucking skip for the next two minutes because I'm going to tell you the central metaphor of the whole thing. It's a film, Everything Everywhere All at Once, about the multiverse. Uh, it's incredibly fractured and delineated storytelling. It, it's hard for me to follow. It was very, like, overstimulating. And at the center of it, there is a creature who is a multiverse, just interdimensional creature who can visit every reality within the multiverse. And she creates an everything bagel and she throws like a cosmic everything bagel, which is revealed. There's a veil that sort of has to be torn away so you can see the everything bagel, which has a pool to it. And it's just everything all at once. It's meaningless. It's nothingness. It's everything everywhere. It's there is no storyline. There is no arc. There is no point. There is no anything. It's just useless and meaningless and none of it lasts. None of it matters. Everything changes. All of it is just fucking meaningless. It's this sort of swirling vortex of if you take an everything bagel and truly throw everything at it at this sort of cosmic, ridiculous, metaphorical level, if you heighten it so far as to make it just silly and then you can see it for what it is. Oh, I spent two years in the everything bagel. I was swimming in nihilism, 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 whichever. I was swimming in self-doubt. I was swimming in the pain of long COVID, which was for me, um, here's a thing I don't know that I've ever shared deeply that happened in the everything bagel of, of just meaninglessness and swirling nothingness of the last couple of years. Um, the way that people have described their brains after having a stroke, the way that neurologists talk about people having a stroke and the research that's been done on long COVID suggests that on average, we lose between 0.1 and 0.2. And forgive me if this is slightly wrong. This is me remembering scientific data I have read. So please go fucking verify this on your own. But I promise that this is not like QAnon level off the rails. This is this is like straight up <laughs> fact check, source check. It was either CNN or The Guardian if you want to know what my news sources are. Here we go. The, the Typically, uh, when we talk about cognitive decline and people that are, like, as you age, you lose a certain amount of brain capacity. Typically, we lose, like, 0 0.1 to 0.2% of our brain capacity per year. 0 0.1, 0.2. What scientists have found with by studying cognitive function of those with long COVID is that they lose up to 2% of brain capacity because they've had COVID, which doesn't sound like that much. But if you bear out the math of 0.2% to 2%, 0 0.2% to 
or 0.1% to a full 2%, my brain aged 10 to 20 years all at once. I have a 60-year-old brain now, not a 40-year-old brain. But that, that information just came out, and I was in the swirling everything bagel of nothingness because I just thought there was something wrong with me. Like I had COVID and then long COVID meant that like my brain wasn't functioning the way that I am used to. And there are things that my brain can no longer do. And so this period of mourning for the before and the way that it always was, was also accompanied by a period of mourning for, I guess it would be a little bit like if an NFL athlete has a career ending injury or a career threatening injury. We'll put it that way. They like, like, Ooh, they were in their prime and then just something happens and their career is at real risk and it takes a while like more than a season or two to get them back to the place where they're functioning as an athlete again how scary that must be how traumatic that must be how terrible that must be to be in the prime fucking yeah we're doing things and then something happens you didn't have control over it and suddenly the entirety of your career is in jeopardy and so few people understand what that's like because my sense is that people who are not athletes are just like I mean yeah so you can't catch a ball like whatever what's the big deal you could just do something else and having so much amorphous loss so much my brain I swear to you my brain used to be different it used to be able to do this 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 not particularly helpful because we don't know a what's been lost and we don't know b how to restore it so there's just a grief of I have to accept this new brain with whatever damage has happened to it and perhaps some things will bounce back regrow reform transform do whatever they're going to do perhaps they will not and I have to be okay with either of those things. We'll throw that into the the everything bagel of nihilism that was sucking me in for the last couple of years. And I'm not going to admit that as it's happening because there's nothing you can do. And I was in a pit of everything bagel. <laughs> in my perception, there was nothing anyone could do. And what I'm learning is just being witnessed is helpful. Just, hello, I am a human. You are a human. This is what is happening to me. You don't have to fix it, change it, catch it. You don't have to find the places that are not happy and make them happy. You can simply witness this is one human being as honest as I can possibly be to another human in the hopes that when I go as deep within me as I possibly can, we find something there that also exists deep within you. One of the other things that I did early on, this is just like a parade of my failures and things that I am trying to make peace with and be really gentle with myself about because I've learned that self-attack is not going to help here. Self-attack is not going to make me open. Self-attack is not going to make me feel more vibrant and connected to life. (laughs) it's just not going to work. Um, early on, it may or may not surprise you to find that I was and am incredibly, incredibly shy that 
And yeah, I'll just come by it honestly. Uh, I come by it very honestly. I'm like, should I tell you that story? You don't need to know that story. Very, very shy. So my experiences of adults at a young age, let's say that I'm like five, six, seven. My experience was that they would put their attention on me. And I'm thinking specifically of church because it wasn't that way in school. I was happy with adults' attention in school because it meant that I was doing good. I was functioning. I was getting straight A's. I was doing what I was supposed to do. And I was getting approval all the time. And I was also silent in school. But when I was silent and I would be at church, I would fear being in like after church when everyone's just sort of like shaking hands, meeting, greeting. That's supposed to be the good part. That's the social part that people go for. I found that to be just horrifying. I didn't want adults' attention on me. I didn't want 79-year-old men to ask how I was or what I was up to or what I was going to be when I grew up. I just didn't want that attention. And I didn't have any way to express that because it's weird. Because, you know, as a kid, like, you should want everyone's attention. You should want adults to pay attention to you. You should. I don't know. You should. There was a lot of shoulds there. And so I just sort of ignored the fact that in life we have strong ties, the people that know us the very, 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 very most. I've doubled down on that and put all my energy into that. And we have weak ties, people that we see, you know, infrequently or we don't know their last names. You know, there's that person that walks their dog past the house every day. There is the person who makes my latte named Brandon. Do I know Brandon's last name? No. There are people that we see... When we're just out and about, there are strangers that we talk to at the, you know, grocery store, coffee shop, laundromat, wherever, where the fuck ever you go in a day. They're all weak ties. They're effectively strangers. And I just discounted every single fucking human on this earth because to me, weak ties had never really been established really well. And weak ties felt unsafe. Like, I don't know you. (laughs) I don't know you. Because of a class that I'm taking right now, I am learning the joy of weak ties. I'm just going to tell you, this feels like a a, a million dollar tip. I'm just going to fucking share it with you. Here it is. Your strong ties, the people that you see every day that are rooted in your life, that you're deeply connected to, that you check in with all the time, text, phone, whatever. Those are people that know you as you are. They care about your being and they know who you actually are are and they reinforce that thing but when you're trying to make changes in your life they might be the people that find it really difficult to accept this new version of you or this new version of you that you're putting on or this habit you're trying to build or this pattern you're trying to learn or for me this trying to give up the not happy um, to use that as a skill and a tool not as a way of being in life sweet ties react to what you say and what you do, strong ties react to who you are. So if you want to change a pattern of behavior, it's actually easier with weak ties because they don't have 23 years of friendship history or nine years of relationship history or secret resentments from that one thing you did at that one point way back when. The magic of weak ties is that you just look at each other in the eye and you're with each other and it doesn't matter that I don't know Mary's last name or this is just a person with initials or if we accept this place of we are all human 
And with a good space holder, we can see and feel and enjoy our own humanity. It is nothing short of a miracle. To be witnessed exactly as I am trying to be with my strong ties amongst a group of hundreds of weak ties. If you had told me that would be valuable, if you had told me that could be exquisite, if you had told me that I would tell them secrets that I haven't told my strong ties, I wouldn't have believed you. But it's true. And the part of me that is a coach that wants to fix it in some way control because I'm awesome and I share that with Annie Lee, you know, apparently I share that with lots of people um, that wants to fix, control, make better, take pain away, take care of that part gets to be silenced for a bit to just be a witness with weak ties. Just witness who these people are, witness what they're saying, witness what they're trying to build and then let it go. I'm not responsible for anything else except being present when, when they need a witness. That's it. So the brilliance of the gathering, which you're running out of time to register for at thegathering.work, is that we're going to be 24 people who were socialized as women coming together as weak ties. As who do you want to be? What patterns do you want to make? How do you want to emerge from this hellish portion of your life? Which maybe wasn't hellish for you. But for the last two years as a, as a whole, as a humanity, it's been rather hellish, wouldn't you say? How do we emerge from this place where we were not only locked down, uh, but Anne Lamont in the podcast I just listened to called it shutdown. And shutdown is exactly right. Like, like, fuck it. Like, let's just turn the key off and just fucking not go anywhere. Turn the engine of the soul off. This hurts too much. This is too painful. This is too stressful. This is too overwhelming. I don't know what to do. I feel utterly powerless. I feel like nothing I do matters. I feel like nothing that anyone does matters. I feel like it's all just going to hell. There's your everything bagel. There it is. How do we come out of that? How do we come out of shutdown? How do we send out these little tiny tendrils of connection when they are so delicate? They are so delicate. Think of a bud that is just emerging from the earth. It is so delicate. You could so easily just rip it out, uproot it, stamp on it, throw something toxic or terrible, some sort of chemical on it, and it will be gone so quickly. So how do we make a space for that tendrils, for those tendrils of softness and tenderness to be able to come out, be seen, connect with others and be enlivened and enriched so that they can take root in your life so that these new habits and new patterns you're trying to make can become ways of being. And then when it's a way of being, it registers with your strong ties because now it's just part of who you are. That's the magic of the gathering. That's what I'm trying to do. The fact that I have words for it months after having conceived of it is just fascinating to me. But we want to use a weak, weak ties of like, here is a person who can hold space like a motherfucker. That would be me. I'm going to use all my Jill Zarin skills to make sure that, that it is tight, right, clear, clean space. And within that space... We experience our humanity within each other and within ourselves. 
and it is nothing short of profound. It is going to be nothing short of profound. It is just this exquisite opportunity for me to help you experience connection, deep, 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 deep connection to people that might now to you be called strangers. And these are people that you might never learn their last names. You might never come together in any capacity after this time together that we're spending with the gathering. And yet it can still be a life-changing container in which to do this work. Because what we need is a space to try out what it's like to blossom after being in shutdown for a number of years. After being the most disconnected. And maybe you're not disconnected. Maybe you are not lonely. Maybe you didn't experience pandemic loneliness. Maybe you feel more connected than ever. And to you, I say, well fucking done. That takes work. But if there's a part of you that is utterly afraid to reach out, to say hello, to say hi, to make new connections, that is afraid to risk vulnerability, to risk wanting something, to risk using your voice, to risk feeling your feelings, to risk asking for help. Those are all really big risks. And I want you to be able to take those risks within community Because when everyone is risking, it's so much easier to risk along with them. When everyone is being brave, it's easier to be brave than to do it all by yourself. Which is one of my deepest patterns. I was an only child born in the middle of nowhere. It's all by myself. I do it myself. I do it myself. I do it myself. I do it myself. And then the other gift, this might be long-winded and just, it's, it's too late. It's already happening. It's coming out. The other thing that I'm noticing now, 10 years after experiencing something, um, 10 years ago I paid a bunch of money to be in community um, and heavy air quotes around in community. Uh, I was in a mastermind. Um, and that experience hurt me in ways that I, it took a long time to articulate and then it took a long time to get over. But what I'm seeing is, oh, so, right. So a thing hurts me. This is, this is my particular genius. A thing hurts me. I just shut it down, shut it off, cut ties, done. And the thing that hurt me was that I was, I felt deeply connected and then the program ended and it was like none of those relationships had ever existed. And I thought that I had like made some friends, but really not. And so that's my expectations. That's my fault. And I was deeply involved in like, I was an affiliate for a bunch of things and I was like super connected and, um, it felt deeply connected. And then those, when those relationships that I had formed didn't work out or felt bad or like just sort of faded, got cut, whatever it was, those relationships that I formed, there all atrophied in weird ways. And there was some real pain there. I just sort of decided again, because I'm smart that like, I don't need that. I will retract even further. And I'll make my own community, but I'll do it myself. And I'll make my own ways of being, but I'll do it myself. And so there was a a real pain and a real retraction. 
And so this is acknowledging that, seeing the ways that I have tried to make expansion happen. And this is a new way of expanding. Because for a long time, I've been looking for a way to connect people that are that are attracted to me, that resonate with me. I want to be able to connect them to, to other people without my having to be the central hub upon which all the spokes turn. Does that make sense? And so I've found a way to do that. And the, the irony is that first I am doing that with a person who is holding space for me, for us. And then, oh, 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 I remember, 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 I remember. A deep remembering. And then I get to do that same thing for you. So the timing on this is just beautiful. And the flow on this is just beautiful. And the people that I am encountering for like five minute friendships or like a quick DM of, you know, in the, in the river of hundreds of women that are also taking the class with me. I'm learning the importance of the way that we weave social fabric is with weak ties and strong ties. And this thing that I abandoned with weak ties, it can be really, really beautiful. It's like being at a concert and you may know, you know, three people, four people at that concert. I really, really doubt that if you're at a sold out concert, you know, every single person there. So they're effectively weak ties. But when we come together, we, when we are all singing a song at the top of our lungs, when we are all cheering for the same team, we become something so much bigger and it's based in weak ties and it's beautiful. So a lot of my opening up after such a like lockdown, shutdown, fear-based, deeply retreating, struggling with the everything bagel kind of set of years of COVID, COVID college, thank you, Anne Lamont, is learning to connect with people in new ways that I had previously cut off or shut off unconsciously. Like, I mean, so, so many years ago. And so at such a young age, deciding like, it's just deep connection that I want. And otherwise I'll pretty much just be silent because I was so shy. And I had a mom that could make small talk with a fucking throw pillow. I mean, I learned that any space I made, that if I wanted to talk, she would let me talk. But otherwise she would fill the space with conversation for as long as I've been alive. So there was no obligation for me to express my interiors or speak and then at my very worst most basic instinct of the, the the child that just doesn't know what to do is just it's just silence it's just I'll go in and down and not subject anyone to what I'm feeling instead of when I am at my very 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 most despondent that is when I very 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 most need for someone to witness me without trying to change it or fix it or solution it. And often it will move. Whereas if I just hold it and don't admit it, it can ruin everything. It can ruin every interaction for that day or week or month. Or I can just express it to someone as if when it comes out, it's going to be loved, whatever it is. So I am learning to live outside of the everything bagel again, of that, oh, it's all worthless, it's all meaningless, like the 
the nihilism is, it was winning there for a while and it's not now. I'm learning to step outside of that. I'm learning to not get caught up in the Trumpian news cycle. It's not necessarily Trump. The the news cycle that leads to just, it's just a hate machine. It's just riling up all the parts of you that hate the other, however you define the other. And it's causing such despair because there's so much that you don't have control over, can't fix, can't do, can't change, can't, 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 can't. And then it just dips you in fear and bathes you in who are you to have feelings when X is happening? Who are you to exist when Y is happening? Who are you to say things when blah is more important? It just robs you of your voice. It robs you of your feelings. It robs you of your ability to function. It robs you of your power. So if you're, if you're in that spot where you feel like a bomb that's going to go off and you want to protect everyone around you from the shards, what if you're just deeply honest with someone, strong tie, weak tie, medium tie, if that's a thing, about what's going on within you? And what if you choose some, that someone carefully? I'm not talking about like, you know, the person, you know, that person is just a horrible, horrible, horribly mean to you. We don't give them our very, very best, softest self as like, this is a secret I've held and I hope you'll handle it well. We don't put it in the hands of someone that you know is just going to throw it on the ground and smash it. But what if you express what's actually going on even to yourself? Because that, I believe, to be... One of the steps out of the everything bagel is just admitting when you're in it. You're in the chaos. You're in the swirl. All is meaningless. All is useless. Nothing is working. All is powerless. All is unwell. All like big hyperbolic statements, big despair, big distress. Just just identify that you're in it. Are you in the everything bagel right now? (laughs) Can I get you anything while you're in the everything bagel? Would you like to exit the everything bagel? And to be clear, I can't make you exit the everything bagel. I can just stand near it close enough that I don't get sucked in and be like, I see you. Do you want to come out? Because coming out is generally going to involve human connection. The other thing that's really hard for an introvert like me is being sourced from yourself. You somehow think that the answer is always going to be something introvert related. So I feel like blah. Just gross. That's a gross sound. Like sort of vomity. I need to journal. I need to do breath work. I need to meditate. I need to do yoga. I need to go for a run or a walk. I need to... All of my default activities to kind of take care of my interiors are introvert based. And learning to say... And I'm just learning this. Learning to say, I'm actually in deep struggle right now. And here's how you can support me. I'm having a really tough day and I can't talk about that. Learning to say, I would love to talk about blah. Learning to say, I just really need some french fries right now. (laughs) Which happened yesterday. So Bear took me out for french fries. (laughs) That instead of trying to take care of and meet 
all of your own needs all by yourself, in addition to all the needs of everyone else that you know. You can just begin to have needs and express them to others. And you can have feelings and express them to others. And you can have desires and express them to others. And even if nobody can do a goddamn thing to make them happen, it's still been expressed and there is power in the expression. It has been a long, long, long couple of years. Has it not? It has been a long time to get to this phase of pandemic, which is strangely like sometimes masks, sometimes not. Some t- like we don't know what this is yet. What I do know, what I'm learning is so important, is that no matter what happens next, I'm going to need people. And not just my inner circle of people that I share everything with and then everyone else is sort of one rung out and then everyone else is one rung out from that. So that by the time we're three rungs out, I'm just like, hi, how are you? Oh, I'm good. How are you? Good, good. Fuck. I don't ever want to have that conversation again. Because that's what women or those socialized as women kind of are forced into is just the less you like a person, the more, the higher your voice goes when you say hi, hi. So like with my friends, it's like, hi, what's up? And with people that I don't know, the expectation is like, hi. And then with people that I sh- know, but I should be excited about, but I'm not excited to be, it's hi. Like it, it, it has to go up. And the height of my voice dictates the depth of the voice, which is very little to not at all. Hi, hi, how are you? Good, how are you? Good, 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 good. Oh my God, it's so good to see you. Yeah, okay, bye. Those conversations are the reasons that I thought weak ties were completely useless. Because what, do, what is that giving me? It's giving me nothing. I mean, maybe if you're an extrovert, that gives you something. Um, I hope it does, because it certainly doesn't do anything for me to just sort of exchange high register pleasantries and that's that i'm learning how to connect with people in ways that are meaningful even if we're not going to have an extended ongoing relationship even if someone is listening to this podcast dips in for one episode and dips out that's a that's still a weak tie and b i can still serve them in that capacity that the, the value is not they've listened to every podcast episode I've ever released. It's they dipped in, they got something that they needed, they dipped out. Okay. Learning to hold it all more loosely, learning to see it with great humor, like an everything bagel, instead of just like, it's the abyss. Okay. I am in the abyss is just, it sounds fucking terrible, does it not? I am in the everything bagel is like, well, I mean, it's the same place that I'm talking about. The abyss, the vortex, the nothing, the, the despair that just calls to you in the middle of the night that says it's, it's all meaningless and useless. But if we call it the everything bagel, doesn't it just sound a little bit better and make you a little bit hungry for a bagel? <laughs> I'm learning to handle this loosely and to play. Even with the abyss, there can be play here. How far are you from the everything bagel? Like, give it to me in, in, in a matter of, you know, feet or meters. How close are you to be just being sucked in? Or are you in it? How long have you been in it? What does it look like in there for you? 
And can we acknowledge that the everything bagel is not going away? So perhaps we should find a way to exit it. And perhaps the exiting of the everything bagel will involve other humans. That would make it easier and more fulfilling and supportive. And we could build a chain of humans to sort of hold you back from jumping into the bagel again for a little bit. You're always welcome to go back. But is it fun there? Are you having a good time? So that's the game. The game is reconnecting with humanity in a completely new way. Mask or no mask, COVID, no COVID. New pandemic, old pandemic, whatever it is, whatever's coming. Weak ties, strong ties, trying on new ways of being. For me, turning off my not happy app is important. So just be happy, just take it in, just have gratitude. Acknowledging the places where I retracted my own voice and where I am recovering it. And then here with you, just being as vulnerable as I can possibly be in the space of a single take is really helpful. I hope it's helpful for you. It's helpful for me. There's a guy who makes movies. He's a a comedian and director. His name is Mike Berbiglia. Don't ask me to spell Mike Berbiglia. I can't do it. (laughs) But a line that struck me from his when he's writing a movie, his line that he says is, if you're not telling secrets, who cares? And that deeply struck me that the world of business right now, or at least the world of content creation, influencers, yada, yada, blah, blah, you know that world, that online world, that sphere, we'll call it, is not about telling secrets. Not about the secrets I care about anyway. It's often about, you know, strategies and techniques and tactics. And those, are, those can be really useful. But ultimately, my job here is if you're not telling secrets, who cares? I'm going to tell you secrets. And I'm going to be far more vulnerable than I would like. In some ways, it's really beautiful that I've been doing uh, business for so long and podcasting for so long because I'm so used to the process of just stepping up to the mic and talking. And I'm so used to sharing as vulnerably as I can that it just keeps getting harder. But I, it's, it's a muscle and I have that muscle and I'm using that muscle. So instead of running 25 miles, we run 43 miles. And we go, okay, okay, okay. We'll let's see what we do next week. Okay, okay, okay. So in my heart, this is like my heart marathon. Here it is. What do we got this week? And the trust that I feel toward you, the person listening, the dear human listening, is so sweet and tender to be held in a space of deep vulnerability is an exquisite gift. It's an exquisite gift that you're giving me to listen. And it's an exquisite gift that you're giving me to listen, not just to me, but to your own self as I speak. What's going on within you? What's happening? What comes up? Do you have an inner Jill Zarin and Jill Zarin's mom app? 
that says not happy. <laughs> did you cut off the, the value of weak ties? And when? Do you, did you learn that you, the only person you could trust to source you or to help feed you energy is you? And so humans, pfft, no. What did you learn? Where did you give up? Where did you stop? Where did you retract? And can you not beat yourself up about those places? Can we just acknowledge, okay, that happened and we move on? We don't go and yell at flowers that haven't yet bloomed. Like, God damn, it's time. You're off schedule. You are off schedule. You were scheduled for June 3rd. It is now June 6th. You are behind. We don't, we don't do that. Why do we do that with our souls? Like we should be further along by now. We should be better by now. We should be blossomed or developed or multi-billionaires by now. We should be. We should be. We should be. Where are you right now? What do you most need right now? What would feed you right now? What would serve you right now? What do you need help with right now? Because that's where you are. And we can spend years dreaming of where you could be. But you would still be where you are right now. And I'm just trying to love you where you are right now. Because it's hard and I can't see you. I can't hear you. I can only feel you after you've listened and you give me commentary. Like there's a... There's a moderate insanity to stepping up to a mic, knowing that there are listeners, but you don't get to see them. And it's also an exquisite opportunity because you're taking me with you wherever you take me with you. And we have this relationship that looks like whatever it looks like, whether it's a 20-minute relationship or it's been years. All I'm trying to do is when I open up the aperture of myself to help you open up the aperture of yourself and say what's going on in there without, there's no shame, there's no fear, there's no guilt, there's no judgment, there's no, there is no intention other than for you to experience yourself and know what it is that you need, want, desire in this moment. Because when you know what you need, want, desire, you're pretty close to being fully alive. And in that fully alive space, that's what we need. We need people that are fully alive. I think it was Howard Thurman, I might be making that up, who said, do not ask what the world needs, ask what makes you come alive. Because what the world needs is people who have come alive. So if... Weak ties, human connection in a fucking strong container holder or what you need to be able to blossom, unfurl, generally reach your little human tendrils up to the sky and grow like you're a houseplant with feelings. Then I invite you to the gathering, thegathering.work. Registration closes on May 6th. If you're on my mailing, mailing list, you will know this. If you're not on my mailing list, hop on kristenkelp.com. Thegathering.work. Let's reestablish your connection to the human family. And let's do it with weak ties so it's not scary. And you don't have to be afraid that your sister-in-law is going to find out about your desire for, excuse me, Whatever X is. In this case, X is a good thing, but something that you might find shameful or weird. Because the beauty of a weak tie is that they don't know you. They don't, 
They're not all caught up in, well, you know, three days ago she said this and now she's saying this and, you know, judgmental comment, judgmental comment, judgmental comment. They don't have that. (laughs) So I'm making a space where you can experience your own energy and the energy of humanity and be loved the fuck up at thegathering.com work. I have no idea how long this is. It feels like it's been a while. Thank you for hanging with me. Thank you for listening. Um, As I've said before, and I'll say again, I am not Brene Brown. I do not have millions of listeners. I am not overwhelmed by your feedback. (laughs) I mean, I'm overwhelmed in the emotional sense, but not overwhelmed. Like there's just so much. I can't get to it. Oh God, no. It's not like a sea of feedback. Um, So if you have any comments, questions, concerns, ideas, Uh, revelations, things that resonated with you, other Anne Lamott podcasts that have really just been like, oh my God, listen to this. Yes, I will take that. Thank you. Anything at all, k at kristenkelp.com, k-r-i-s-t-e-n-k-a-l-p.com. Just send it on over. Or you can look me up if you can find me, if it shows up in your contacts at Marco Polo or text, whatever. I'm accepting all forms of communication at this time. (laughs) how about that because it's putting this thing into the world in this like deeply vulnerable tender here and then the worst thing that can happen is crickets i would rather that you hate it and just be like here are 74 things that you have completely missed the mark on that is better than crickets just so you know i welcome your feedback okay Okay. And again, I don't want to be scarcity driven, but like there's, there's a deadline. There's like a, it's happening. May 6th, thegathering.work. Take a look, see if it resonates with you. And if it does, hop on the fuck in, hop on in. Holy shit. Just hop on in. Just hop it on in. You are more than welcome. And I look forward to seeing you there. Thank you so, 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 so much. And uh, I'll see you soon. Thank you for listening. One more time, The Antidote is a series of monthly gatherings to help you come back to your body, your being, and your breath when it's most likely that you'll self-abandon. The Antidote is the antidote to trying to do everything all alone, all by yourself, while you grow more stressed and you're generally freaking out and telling everyone you're fine while quietly or not so quietly, scream sobbing in a private place between tasks. Let's not do that. Let's try something different. This is a really simple format. One gathering a month on the first Tuesday of the month until the 2024 election. So we're practicing the skills that we will need in November now And we're getting really comfortable with body, breath, and being now. And that's available to you at jointheantidote.com. There's a free recording. You can sign up. You can get more details. Enjoy, enjoy, enjoy.